Welcome to Coog's Talk Stock from WSU Extension, a science-based podcast about animal agriculture for those that raise food animals, those that are interested in learning how, and those that want to learn more about where their food comes from. Find us online at soundcloud.com forward slash Coog's Talk Stock. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Don Llewellyn, Livestock Extension Specialist for Washington State University Extension on the main campus in Pullman. Welcome back to Coog's Talk Stock. Today, it's our great privilege to have a second conversation with the chair of the Department of Animal Sciences at Washington State University. So please welcome Dr. Gordon Murdoch. Thanks so much for the introduction, Don. It's a pleasure to be here again today. Um, I relish these opportunities to uh, interact with uh, uh, the the audience out there uh, since we are not quite ready to do it in person, but um, thanks again. Awesome. It's great to have you on. Gordon, this is your second time on the podcast, uh, but for some of the listeners who, who don't know you, maybe you could just briefly this time share a little bit of your background and experiences that led you to WSU. Sure. Well, I guess uh, let's start with uh, how it all began on the Palouse. Uh, roughly 15 years ago now, I, I was uh, provided an opportunity to uh, come to the Palouse and and uh, start uh, work as an assistant professor at uh, the University of Idaho. Uh, I was there for um, almost 15 years, um, and uh, predominantly my research was focused in, in beef cattle research, everything from nutrition through to management, uh, but my particular uh, expertise is probably most aligned with uh, muscle growth. So uh, 15 years of research, and then this a uh, wonderful opportunity arose to to join uh, an excellent team at WSU, and and uh, I can't say I, I leapt strongly enough. Well, that's great. We're we're sure glad uh, that you're here at WSU with us, and I know that there's great things ahead. So, so let, let's get into to our discussion for today. So, last time we talked about, you know, in general about the WSU Department of Animal. T- animal sciences and the opportunities for students and COVID-19 and research and all of these things. But today, let's shift gears a bit and talk uh, more big picture, if you will. And so maybe we could get started with some of the recent and continued challenges that face livestock producers every day. And I think we all can agree that there are some real stressors out there uh, every day for farmers and ranchers and what they're dealing with. So, um, let's start with talking about the drought that's that's wreaked havoc across the western U- U.S. this summer. What challenges have come about due to the drought, and how are producers responding? Yeah, that's a great question, and and let me start by saying uh, we all know that farmers and ranchers are a resilient group, and 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 they've been able to manage. Uh, uh, mother nature that's thrown at them and, 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 and handle things and adapt to things on a year to year basis. But, um, this drought seems to be extended. Um, it happened to us early, uh, this season and has dramatically affected, uh, available resources, uh, for all livestock operations. As you know, um, we rely on the highest quality feeds, um, to provide the best for our animals, both for their welfare, but also linked to their production traits. And we've, um, over the years, developed ex- excessively and exceedingly um, efficient livestock, uh, but they still need feed. Uh, these valuable commodities are, are dramatically impacted by the drought, 
And this seems to be uh, a drought that continues without end for us in this region. Um, and even a small operation uh, like ours at WSU is, is impacted by rising costs uh, and decreased availability of, of, of the quality of feed that uh, we hope to offer our, our livestock. So to your knowledge, are there any uh, new or existing government programs out there to assist producers in enduring this hardship? So there are some. Back in June, uh, USDA uh, announced it was offering $41.8 million through an environmental quality incentives program known as EQIP. Uh, that was only targeting four states, Arizona, California, Colorado, and Oregon. Um, but I expect that to expand. And the reason for me to believe uh, that that will expand to other states is that um, just six days ago, um, so within this past week, USDA announced that um, while it declared drought in 14 primary counties in Washington and, and 10 contiguous counties. Uh, and so I'm optimistic that this this announcement will um, make uh, those livestock production operations eligible for federal emergency aid. Uh, on the flip side, um, it's my understanding that uh, in the Washington state budget, uh, there was not uh, written into the most recent budget signed in May. There was nothing in there for drought relief. And so I do not believe that WSDA currently has any independent funding for drought relief, but um, it doesn't mean that uh, that can't be addressed. Okay. So in the big picture, then, from your perspective on these climate and environmental issues that has pretty much found its way uh, into most aspects of our lives, and I'm sure that of our livestock producers as well, what is your perspective on, on this? And I know this gets kind of philosophical, but what are the climate and environmental issues going to mean to our producers in, say, the next 10 to 20 years? Yeah. And so to look at things on the optimistic side of things, uh, Don, you know, I've always believed uh, that challenge breeds creativity. And I think we have a lot of uh, innovative and creative people involved in livestock production. And so we're going to rise to the challenge. But that being said, uh, the hardest thing to deal with is that I believe that we're inevitable climate and environmental issues challenge our livestock producers is that uh, I think that our weather effects are becoming somewhat less predictable, but more common. And the possibility of successive years of dramatic weather impacts um, seem to be increasing. And so, you know, we we all heard about weathering the storm that, you know, with every storm it would pass. But we may see with this new era of climate change that successive storms may arise and the length and severity of those storms may actually increase. And that could become the norm. So are we at a stage where I think that um, it's doomsday? Definitely not. I think that uh, there'll be new challenges and there'll be new motivation for increased uh, efficiencies. And even though we've been doing things very well, I think this should be motivation for WSU especially for our faculty at the Land Grant Institute to do our best to provide solutions uh, to our producers that are working hard uh, to make their industry sustainable and continue to offer the best and most healthful ag products in the world. 
in other words, you're thinking that there probably is some research opportunities out there that could lead to some real measurable impacts for far- farmers and ranchers. And of course, in extension, you know, we we always think about things that are relevant and impactful and so forth. And so any particular things that, that pop into your mind as far as what those research opportunities might be over the next several decades? Yeah, Don, and and you know it's not hard having uh, having spoke to me a few times about this. You know, I, I love your area of expertise and in range, and 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 it's not uh, my expertise. So I, I've become accustomed to learning from people that have spent more time. But uh, of course, I, I know the industry sufficiently well enough to realize that um, you know it's really an integration between the crop side and the animal side. For the animal side, we can optimize the feed. Uh, quality. We can um, do trials that look at various um, uh, maybe uh, pasture management practices that would uh, allow uh, or retain better quality feed for use by our livestock. I think that could be blended with probably the selection for new cultivars and crops that would be more drought tolerant, possibly. These are just a few suggestions. And of course, we all know that, you know, we've selected crops to be um, less uh, susceptible to lodging and 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 to have shorter seasons and increased uh, production rate per acre. And I think we'll continue to do that, but we'll be selecting for cultivars and managing our, our range and pasture land uh, in the context of uh, more severe uh, climactic conditions. And, and I think it's attainable um, and it's probably an exciting thing for researchers like you to try and get out there knowing the need um, to get out there and have the opportunity to really uh, do some great applied research and provide solutions for our hardworking uh, livestock industry. Yeah, you know, when, when I was growing up in eastern Washington, it was very common for a lot of integration between livestock and farming. And then, you know, as the 1980s and 90s came along, we kind of got away from that. But I think I see a real return to that integration. And I think that's an, a real exciting opportunity for for our farmers and ranchers to work together for a common goal. I think that's uh, something that's going to be really on the front burner as we move forward. Yeah, I agree. Um, Another thing that's really apparent to most everybody, even people that are not involved with farming and ranching, but is this rising cost of fuel, whether it's to power cars, trucks, farm machinery, or whatever, these rising costs definitely put pressure on the bottom line for our producers. So what do you see as important steps in assisting producers in navigating rising input costs, such as fuel and fertilizer and whatever else they need to sustain their operations? Yeah, you know, that's that's an interesting uh, thing to consider because we all know that uh, daily operations require fuel on the farm. And, and uh, the fact that we've attained such high levels of efficiency in terms of production um, has relied on, on fuel and, and use of equipment. And, and I don't think we'll move away from that. But um, we've already made some strides, but I think there's some probably alterations in, in, in production practices that will uh, combine various field operations, um, reduce equipment running time. Um, I, I don't know how current this is, but I remember watching 
watching an ex- or reading an extension um, document back in 2018, and and they outlined. Um, you know, a lot of people think that, oh, I'm just going to do a better job of buying my fuel at a lower price. Uh, and, and that extension article pointed out that while you can have some savings, if you save 10 cents per gallon, um, those uh, savings even annually don't add up to as much as uh, mitigating evaporative loss in storage or decreasing idling time, which can uh, minimize uh, fuel use by 15 to 20%. I think we are absolutely on the cusp of being fully integrated with precision farming. I think uh, use of GPS technology allows us to make sure that we're staying on course and we're not uh, crossing points in our field with redundant and and unnecessary use. Um, So I think it's going to be strategic. And I think every day it's on our mind because as you alluded to, there's not only volatility in the cost, but the cost of fuel seems to be rising. And so bringing that into your mindset and incorporating every uh, strategy for mitigating those input costs, which are essential, um, but need to be managed in order to be sustainable. So I think our farmers are doing the right thing. Um, I think there'll be some fuel saving technologies that maybe um, will be cost effective to introduce. Um, and so I think, uh, I think again, where there's opportunity, there's going to be some pretty creative solutions um, nothing that I said today is new. As I said, most of that comes from an extension document way back in 2018. So I'm looking forward to uh, new creative solutions that maybe I'm not privy to or I haven't been thinking about, but probably will come from the producers themselves and the strategies they incorporate to, uh, to reduce their fuel consumption. Absolutely. In all aspects of production, we're all just going to have to get management that is, is smarter and more clear and concise to support us through through all these stressors that are going on. So feed costs are rising. Can you share your perspective as to why that is and, and some things that maybe producers are doing to mitigate the cost of of feed? And from a scientific standpoint in animal nutrition and production, how how can we uh, support this uh, uh, support our producers in managing these feed costs? Yeah, Don, isn't the the challenge with feed costs ever so true? And 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 um, I guess I, I can look at this very optimistically and, and get really excited about this question by by saying I guess I look at this as an affirmation that we need animal scientists and we need great land grant institutes like WSU. Uh, to provide some solutions. And, and I think we're ready to do that. Um, we have the capacity uh, to address these challenges by looking at improvements in terms of uh, nutritional efficiency. Um, even though we're already doing this, we can look at diversified feeds and inclusion of byproducts. I think that um, there have been vast improvements uh, in terms of livestock, uh, in terms of their feed conversion efficiencies over the years. But I think there's still room for optimization of feed compositions. And I think that we can also look at herd improvements um, from the side of physiology and genetics and even the use of and incorporation of modern technology for uh, specific herd improvements that might be very regional. So I think uh, there'll be some changes to address and mitigate these rising feed costs. Um, we know that um, feed is directly associated with our production traits and our sustainability. And so I think this is an area that will always be a focus for 
animal science programs like WSU's. Uh, but um, maybe the challenges are a little broader now um, because um, I think that we've already incorporated some of the means of making improvements. And now it's up to us to maintain our creativeness uh, to look at what other opportunities might be out there. And then the great thing about land-grant institutes is we can take some risks on some ideas we have uh, and then vet those ideas and see how effective they are. And then through extension, deliver those uh, as applied solutions to producers. Um, and so that's really an exciting aspect of animal science. And I think um, this is an area where we have to get to work and, and put our, our heads together and come up with some great solutions. Yeah, it's an exciting time when we look at these things as opportunities rather than all being a stress or so forth. So another thing that I'm hearing is that ag labor laws are changing. So what does that mean for our livestock producers? Well, I'm going to use a really blunt statement, but we all know livestock production and food ag production is not a 40-hour week. We all know that. And uh, cows need to be fed and fields need to be harvested. And so how do we align the reality of ag and livestock production with regulations? And again, this is an area where we expect WSU and animal scientists to help uh, through research. And, and, and we have to improve efficiencies. We have to decrease labor demand. So we have to figure out real ways of understanding the production sector of livestock production and knowing where are there ways where we can minimize or reduce the amount of labor that's required to meet those tasks. And I think um, that will be a, 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 a tough challenge, um, but I believe it's attainable. And this is, again, one of those things that we've talked about. This is not going to be a solution by only one aspect of livestock egg. This is going to involve every um, area of expertise that we know is interrelated with livestock production. So optimizing that feed again and making sure that um, we store and mix our rations uh, uh, effectively and deliver those rations as effectively as we can to maximize the production um, of our livestock um, and do that in a manner that requires uh, the least amount of labor costs. One interesting area that I'm actually involved in some interdisciplinary research right now is around livestock management. And the idea is that uh, we're trying to come up with a functional virtual fence system. And, and uh, how is that related? Well, we all know that not only is traditional barbed wire fencing expensive um, to run, there are some areas where it's not amenable to run and there's some maintenance costs and those maintenance costs are to some degree associated with labor costs, not only labor costs, but labor is required. And so if we had a durable virtual fence system that reduced the need for labor and fencing, um, that's one small solution. And we're hoping that these small solutions might add up to a significant opportunity for livestock. Uh, producers to to do the same things or even better things with less labor required. Okay, so related to that, you know, we hear a lot in the news about the rising minimum wage and, and how that affects our service industries. Is that uh, 
going to, or does it have an effect on uh, livestock producers? Yeah, yeah. Uh, bottom line is livestock producers have always integrated young and new unskilled labor into our industry, and they provided real job and career opportunities. Um, but this is becoming more challenging with increased minim- minimum wages. And while I understand the the premise of a, a living wage, I also um, see the economic side of things and how do you have increased labor and wage costs, if your net um, income does not go up. And so, uh, it seems that when we're running narrow margins for sustainability, every hit to our, our inputs um, creates a new and, and, and at some degree, a uh, hard-to-bear challenge for us. But I think, again, the um, ingenuity of our industry – um, will remain uh, a sector of agriculture that values the training of, of, of young and, and, and newly skilled labor. Um, and so I think we'll find a happy balance, but it is a real challenge to producers. And it's, it's hard for us not to um, relate to the challenges that this places and the burden that it places uh, uh, for our producers to be able to Uh, integrate those young uh, employees uh, when you have to pay them or start them at a, at a significant wage. Sure. That's a great answer to a really tough question. You know, Uh, shift gears here just a little bit in my lifetime, the global population has basically doubled. Okay. So one thing that's on a lot of people's mind all the way from academics to production agriculturalists or whoever is the question, is it going to be possible to meet the global food demand as we go down the road 20, 30, 40, 50 years? You know, how is this going to be possible from a livestock production perspective? Yeah, um, you know, again, uh, we received this question and it is a challenge. Um, This is an opportunity for us to give us ourselves a few kudos because uh, I'm going to be nice to myself and say within my lifetime and and limit that to maybe 50 years. We've increased the efficiency of dairy operations by 65%. We've increased the efficiency of beef operations by 60%. Uh, Is there still room for advancement? Yeah. The U.S. is undoubtedly the leader in this area where we do more for less. And um, this has been a challenge for us over this half century, and we've really risen to that challenge. Have we reached the optimums? Um, No, I think there's still room for advancement in there. And I expect that advancement to come through the U.S. system and and to be led by uh, great minds that are both actively involved in livestock production and those that just want to serve that industry through applied research that goes on here at at WSU. And so um, I do think there's room for improvement. Uh, You know, everything from optimizing um, reproductive traits through to optimizing uh, um, livestock regional uh, selection. So how do we make sure that we're, we have the highest production levels for each diverse region of the U S we're doing more with less. uh, And I think that um, there's still some, Opportunities for us to optimize our nutritional practices, our uh, production practices that will align with what seem like small and incremental improvements, 
But as we saw over this last 50 years, how can we not be optimistic when we've made such great strides? And that's all through the ingenuity of our producers and our land-grant institution researchers. And I, and I expect that to continue. That's our challenge. And that's where our rewards come from as well. Awesome. I agree 100% with you. Uh, to shift gears here a little bit again, one of the more intense topics related to agriculture uh, is the rising suicide rate among farm and ranch operators and their families. Do you have a perspective on as to what is causing this? And are there resources out there to help farmers and ranchers navigate the tough times? Wow, Don. Yeah, that that's really tugs at our heartstrings. And 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 if there's anyone in the audience right now, let me start by this. If it's seeming overwhelmed with the challenges, um, I sincerely want to tell you that um, you are the salt of the earth. Uh, the world is a better place with you in it. Uh, and there are resources uh, for you to get through these tough times. And uh, we want to help in any way we can. So please capitalize on that and recognize that um, you matter. And uh, we want to continue to have you be actively involved in our industry. And so please do not take those drastic measures that might be crossing your mind. Um, this is not my area of expertise. I know there's a national suicide prevention hotline. Uh, I believe the number is 1-800-273-8255. Um, that's a, a wonderful resource and has trained personnel to help deal with these things. And I really want to emphasize that I think um, there's been a misalignment that uh, asking for help is a sign of weakness. And I think we're ready to transition out of that. We know our ag producers and our uh, farmers and ranchers, they're as tough as they come. And uh, we also should recognize that Never before have they been exposed to such continual challenges uh, financially, um, but also um, in terms of the next generation taking over and the, the costs to farm these days. Um, and so uh, I just want to emphasize that recently there was um, uh, a bill passed, uh, I believe it's HB 1434, uh, it's an egg suicide prevention bill that passed this this February, and it establishes a way for farmers and and ranchers to address some anxiety before before it overwhelms them. And we know that the unstable nature um, uh, of commodities and and the market they can add additional stress and pressures to our um, to our producers. But we hope to create sufficient resources that they mitigate those risks, they realize that they can overcome those uh, hardships and that together we're stronger uh, with you in this world. Uh, and so I encourage people to reach out with whatever resources that they feel um, might help them. And again, um, keep in, in mind that uh, we need you and we're a better place with you in this world. Well said, Gordon. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention our WSU Extension colleague uh, from Skagit County, Don McMorrin. He leads a suicide prevention education program uh, from out of his office. And, and this is really important work in keeping our farmers and friends and neighbors all safe in these stressful times. And I think we'll post Don's uh, information about his programs in the show notes. And I think it's really a topic worthy of its own podcast episode. So we should really try to get Don on Coog's Talks Talk uh, to visit with us about it. 
Yeah, kudos to Don for for his efforts to to try and make a difference. Uh, the scenario we have to address. Absolutely. So as we wrap up here today, Gordon, are there any bright spots on the horizon that you'd like to share? Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, I am. I'm, I'm just naturally an optimistic person, and I think there's some great things uh, on our horizon. And uh, I'll, I'll just bring on a, a few of those. Um, we've made uh, improvements to our meats lab and, and made it more amenable for producers across our state to potentially capitalize on our USDA inspected harvest facility. And, and I think um, uh, making sure that we are a resource uh, to our hardworking producers is, is really important to me. And I think that uh, has made some important changes. In addition, uh, we just recently completed some upgrades to our on-campus uh, dairy center and beef center. And, and these might seem uh, slow to come, but we've made some internet improvements that will allow us to uh, in, in improve our research and use of technology and testing of technology uh, potentially livestock tracking um, uh, methods uh, to really, really educate our students when they come to campus to learn from us, but also um, go after some opportunities to improve the use of technology uh, in our livestock production system. So I'm excited about that. And uh, because you're an extension guy, Don, uh, I couldn't be more thrilled. Uh, and this is hot off the press. Uh, I just recently received uh, approval to proceed with the hiring of a, another extension faculty member in uh, animal sciences that will focus on livestock and, and there to be the interface between um, genetic improvements uh, in a functional genomics in initiative here on campus and our hardworking producers. And so we hope to uh, start that search uh, within this year and bring a new uh, enthusiastic faculty member on board uh, to be the uh, intermediary between uh, us on campus and our hardworking producers uh, and, and just provide the resource necessary to understand upcoming technologies and how they may be employed in each of our individual ranches. So uh, whenever I get an opportunity to hire and, and expand our team, uh, I really do think that I already have an exceptional team here at WSU and Animal, Scientists, uh, and Animal Science, and, and uh, that team will be strengthened by uh, at least one. So um, uh, thanks again, Don. Uh, I really uh, am, am so pleased to have to had this opportunity to speak to your audience and and, and through this means, um, uh, get to know some of the, the producers around the state. Well, that's exciting news about uh, new extension faculty. And, and uh, as we wind up here today, we just want to thank you, Dr. Murdoch. It's been awesome to have you on the podcast today to share your insights and thoughts about what's going on in the real world of livestock production. Now, we'll post your contact information in the show notes. So if the audience have questions and want to contact you, they can do so. And if you have any resources uh, about the Department of Animal Sciences you want to share uh, for prospective students that, or, uh, or just anybody that wants to learn more about uh, what we have to offer, uh, we'll, we'll post those notes as well. So until next time, this is Dr. Don Llewellyn for Coog's Talk Stock. Thank you for listening to the Coogs Talk Stock podcast, brought to you by Washington State University Extension. You can review, rate, and subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you listen. Find us online at soundcloud.com forward slash Coogs Talk Stock.
where the additional resources from our podcasts are linked. Let us know if you have any burning questions or suggestions at cougstalkstock at wsu.edu. This podcast is brought to you by Hannah Browse, Sarah Drager, Dr. Don Llewellyn, and Natasha Moffat-Hemmer, and is produced by Connors Communications at Washington State University. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement.